Well, last week I started my message uh, kind of picking on Hallmark Christmas movies. And I received cards with amens and high fives in the hallway and, and a whole lot of solidarity things. So I'm going to play to that audience and get, unshamelessly look for more of that <clears throat> affirmation. Let's talk about Hallmark. No, just kidding. Listen, believe it or not, the Hallmark movies disappeared this week in my home. Not because of my message, just because we set things right. Because it, Christmas in the sack house means Star Wars. So Star Wars made a return, and Hallmark went out. Although, there, we did, in a moment of weakness, I decided I would watch what I thought was a Hallmark movie, and it was um, made by another group. I won't name names, but it starts with an A and ends with a Zon. Uh, and I kind of was like longing for Hallmark movies with that thing. Anyways, um, this is our fifth message in this series, The Weary World Rejoices. And I stood here last week, and I did not think that we were going to do a fifth message in this series. But I felt like two days after Christmas, we could still speak about Christmas. We could still speak about the incarnation of Christ. But on this side of Christmas, I thought, well, how exactly two days after Christmas do I speak on Christmas and it matter? Because I thought, you know, we're, we, we'd spend all this attention in celebrating the birth of Jesus, right? All this buildup, we've, we've done each one of these globes, each one of these Christmas ornaments, we've done these themes for Advent. There's no more Christmas ornament. How exactly do I speak? And I thought about <clears throat> how... Christmas sometimes is this thing you build up to and then it's gone, <clears throat> excuse me, it's done the very next day, right? But it wasn't done the very next day when the birth of Christ happened. Like there was a day two and a day three. We put all of our attention on the birth and then the death and the resurrection and the stuff in the middle is like, well, he teaches, he does miracles, but he was like 30 already. But on day two, there was a day three and a day four. I mean, there is this in-between that takes place. And while we look at the in-between with Jesus' teachings and his miracles, there is a part of that in-between that I think that the incarnation actually gives us encouragement for, but we don't ever talk about it. We don't really focus on it. Maybe we do talk about it, but it's certainly not a focus. What is it that the incarnation can do to help us on day two, day three, day four, two days after Christmas, that in-between The word that came to mind was suffering. I know, that's not like the normal Christmas sermon. Merry Christmas, let's talk about suffering. <laughs> he is born, peace on earth, goodwill to men, let's focus on suffering. But that's, that's the, the thrust of this message. And if you think that's weird, just wait till I end this message and we're gonna talk about Buddhism. I, we'll get there. You're like, woo, I'm staying to the end now. Turn around, sit down. No, I'm just kidding, no one's walking out. You see, the fact that God came in the flesh is important, not just for our salvation, because it's like the science is right. We need fully man, we need fully God, so that we can have a sacrifice on our behalf and our place. So like the birth is important, the death is important, but the, the God in the flesh for 33 years is incredibly important when it comes to how we live out and flesh out a life of suffering and suffering is part of this world, part of the human experience, is it not? Whether it's suffering that comes from within or without, whether it's suffering at your own hands or the hands of others, whether it's suffering just because you're alive in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world, but so did Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn with me 
to Hebrews chapter 4. And i got to be honest with you, Hebrews is so rich. And as I was preparing this message, I thought, God, I can't preach all of Hebrews in one message because what we're going to read here is, is referenced a number of times throughout the book of Hebrews. But as you turn there, let me give you a really quick overview of Hebrews. We're not going to study the whole thing, of course, but Hebrews written by an unknown author. We call him the author of Hebrews. Uh, strong Jewish connections, many references to Judaism. Very likely he was written to Christian Jews, perhaps in Rome, very likely written before the destruction of the temple in 8070 because of all the Jewish things he mentions, the author mentions, he never mentions the destruction of the temple. But in short, a real quick way to remember what Hebrews is about, Hebrews explains the Hebrew scriptures to the Hebrews or Jewish Christians. He, he says, in light of what you know about Christ, now look back on the Old Testament. He takes them from the Old Testament of what they know through how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament and how he brought a new covenant his purpose is to encourage believers who were facing persecution to cling to Christ, to persevere, because Christ is greater. He's superior. And that's the thing that you're going to see all throughout Hebrews. Chapter 1, Jesus is greater than the angels. He's superior. Chapter 3, he's greater than Moses. Chapter 4, greater than Joshua. Now, Joshua led them into the promised land, but he didn't give them the, the, the full rest. That's the immediate context of where we're about to be in chapter 4, starting in verse 14. But before we jump into the text... Let me give you one more piece of like, background. We're going to zero in to this one section. Chapter 4, 14 through 510, explains how Jesus is greater than Aaron in the Levitical priesthood, how he is the once and for all high priest. Oh, actually, that's chapters 4 through 10, that whole thing. But the verses we're going to look at gives us his qualifications for that. So if you have your Bibles, read with me, starting in chapter 4, verse 14. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Some of you are really smart, and I read that passage of Scripture, and you know where we're going, and you're like... Save me the time. I know exactly where he's going. Good, I'm glad you do, but we're going to break this thing down. Let's take a look at this. This passage right here introduces this theme of Jesus as our high priest. Once again, he continues to speak through it, through the, through the book of Hebrews, showing the difference between this, the, the, the Levitical priesthood, the priesthood of Aaron and, and, and the priesthood of Jesus, and how they're different. There's a whole lot here, like I said earlier, but we can't necessarily dig it all out. But let's break down what we just read. First, we have a great high priest. Right there, we should be like, boom, that's good enough. Now, perhaps there were Christians who were saying, well, Christianity doesn't have, like Jewish Christians or maybe skeptical Jews who were checking out the faith saying, this is a perhaps, you don't have a, a priest. You don't have a priesthood. And here the author is saying, no, we do. And he's greater than the one you know, that you understand from the Old Testament that he entered into heaven, this means that he entered into God's very presence. This is in contrast to the priesthood of Aaron and the Levites, which they had to minister on an earthly sanctuary. So he says, we have a great high priest who entered into heaven, and then he identifies who it is, Jesus, the Son of God. This speaks to his nature. Perfectly combined humanity and divinity. There's a historical man and his name is Jesus and he's fully man but he's the son of God and he's fully God 
this idea of fully man, fully God is woven throughout the book of Hebrews, and we see it here again. So, therefore, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Now, how do we, here's encouragement, verse 15, the very next verse, for holding firmly to what we believe. What is the encouragement? Jesus is able to sympathize with our weakness. He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. The Greek word that we translate weakness to here is, is used in a lot of ways in Scripture. Incapacity, illness, timidity. But in verse 15 of Hebrews chapter 4, it's probably leans more towards this incapacity, this a state of weakness or limitations. In other words, the weaknesses that he can identify with and sympathize with, it's the whole human experience living in a fallen world. All of our human stumbling, bumbling, and fumbling. That is a reference from ESPN's prime time and uh, what's his face? Okay, you got it. Just want to see the sports fans out there. See, Jesus was tempted just as we are. Look at this, look at the, all the same testings. He faced the full range of temptations that we faced. Maybe not exactly the specific temptations that we faced, but the full range, all the same testings. Yet Jesus was without sin. Had he yielded to sin, then he would be no different than all the priests of the Levitical priesthood, of, all the, 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 of Aaron and all those who would follow in that line, he would need someone to make atonement for him. He would have to make, because without sin, we have a, someone who sympathizes with our weakness and qualifies as a high priest that's far greater than this Old Testament high priest that they came to their faith with an understanding of. Verse 16, what's he say? Since we have this sinless Savior, now what? We could come boldly to the throne of grace. The word come here shows that we can, um, we can come to the one who has been through what we have been through. How comforting to know that he is touched by our struggles. He has walked in our shoes. He's willing to face, or he, is, he willingly faced all that we face. He faced higher and deeper pressures than we face. Think about this. the intensity of what Jesus faced in terms of temptation had to be greater than ours, right? Because he kept saying no, and the enemy kept saying, well, this one, no, well, this one. For us, we're like, temptation, yes. Like, we don't give the devil a chance to unload his arsenal, unload all his weapons against us, right? We're like, yes. But Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I mean, he had to, like, face far greater temptation But we come with what? We come, how do we come? It's in the text, verse 16. Boldly. We come with confidence. We can enter his presence with freedom and without fear, not sheepishly, not wondering, oh, I don't know that you love me, but I'm gonna, you know, like, we, we have an assurance. We come boldly to the throne of grace and to God's presence. Now, this, this term describes part more like an attitude than an actual place. It's the attitude that Jesus used when he told the parable of the, the, the Pharisee and the, the tax collector. Remember that? Luke chapter 18. What is it the prayer? What was the prayer of the Pharisee? I thank you, God, that I'm not like these other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like the tax collector. But the attitude of the tax collector and his prayer is, oh God, 
be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. There's an attitude of humility, of recognizing our need, recognizing our inability, our fallenness. We don't belong in the presence of God on our own merit, but we have access because of what Christ has done on our behalf. And he closes out this passage with, there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. We have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, who sympathizes with our weakness. So we can go to him with confidence. And when we go to him, we're going to find the grace and the mercy that we need for today. I don't know about you, but I need grace and mercy. Ask my wife. I need grace and mercy every day. You're not, are you amening about me or just amening about you? I'm curious. We can be assured that we will receive from him, every, him the grace and mercy that is form-fitted for exactly what you face today. See, because of Christ's incarnation, we can be confident that he hears us with sympathy, and will provide us exactly what we need. We talk about the incarnation oftentimes in terms of it was necessary for him to be God-man so that he's God-man on the cross. But he was God-man on day two and day three and everything in between. And he suffered. Read with me. We're going to jump a little bit. We're not going to read the whole thing. If we keep reading into chapter five, you're going to read the author of Hebrews saying, you know, a high priest has to be appointed by God. A high priest has to make atonement for their own sins. You can see why Jesus is greater than that kind of high priest. But then jump with me, five, chapter 5, verse 8. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. Learned obedience from the things he suffered. Does that seem kind of weird to you? Like, why does the Son of God have to learn something? Did he not? Was he disobedient? That doesn't seem right because God in the flesh. Did he learn obedience from being disobedient on his life on earth? No. What we had was an obedience that was untested obedience. And he lived out his human existence and had proven obedience. See, Jesus knew prior to the incarnation what obedience meant theoretically, but he gained a full experiential knowledge of obedience. His life and his death. Through his suffering, he learned obedience. Think about what Jesus suffered starting on day two. Well, actually, it's probably a few days after day two. Jesus suffered an uncomfortable on day one, and unsanitary birth, the human experience. He suffered the terror of fleeing for his life as an infant. He suffered the trials of growing and learning as a boy. He suffered powerful temptation. He suffered homelessness. He suffered hunger. He suffered sadness and grief. He suffered disloyalty and betrayal. He suffered physical pain. He suffered disrespect and mockery. He just suffered misunderstanding and misrepresentation 
I don't know if you, about you, but when I read that list, I'm like, oh yeah, because I suffer misunderstanding and misrepresentation. It, it's, it's a weird place to find like comfort. Like, yes, it does, me, it does my heart good that he suffered misunderstanding and mis, misinterpretation or representation. He suffered punishment for the sins of others. He suffered injustice. He suffered violence and he suffered death. He suffered a full range of hardships of this life in this fallen world. He suffered because of the incarnation. Because God in his wisdom sent his son, the Logos taking on flesh and living in this fallen world. Because of Christ's incarnation, we can be confident that he hears us with sympathy and he'll provide us exactly what we need because he is a great high priest. He's been there. So here's what I want you to do as we, as we close out this message. Just a couple of practical, and it comes straight from the text. First, I want you to live encouraged that you do have this great high priest, that he's touched by your struggles. When you face the suffering and the hardships and the reality of living in this world, the human experience, be encouraged. For some of us, we have to reframe that because maybe we think of God as, you know, very distant, has no idea what it's like to live how I'm living and where I'm living, but he does. Because the angels announced a little baby was born. Second, I would say, like the text says, go to him with confidence and hope. Your struggles and your prayers they're not greeted by God with harshness or condemnation or impatience. That's how we greet each other's struggles. No, not a whole lot of amens in there, but a couple chuckles. That is how we greet each other's struggles sometimes. Your struggles and your prayers are greeted with understanding and sympathy. So go to him with confidence and hope. And as you go to him, expect the third thing, expect that, he, that there is a provision of mercy and grace that meets your need today. It meets exactly what your need is. I promised you that I was going to end this message talking about Buddhism. <laughs> it's interesting when you look at what Buddhism, does anyone know much about Buddhism? Listen to this and compare it to what we have in a great high priest. Listen to this and compare it to what we have in a rescuer, a savior. I'm not picking on a religion or being mean. I'm just telling you, this is what they believe. I would make a bad Buddhist, by the way. I would make a really bad Buddhist, which I think makes me a pretty good Christian. Not because I'm good, because I'm miserable. Because I need a savior. Because I'm wretched. I'm a good Christian. But I'm a bad Buddhist. I'm not a Buddhist, but I would be a bad Buddhist. Listen. The four noble truths of Buddhism, suffering, pain, and misery exist in life. I think we could all say amen to that. We live in a fallen world. It, it, that, that aligns with our, our theology. Suffering, pain, and misery exist in life. Well, yeah. We live in a fallen world and we're fallen humanity. The second noble truth, suffering is caused by selfish craving and personal desire. 
yeah, I mean, we're fallen humanity. We're sin, we're, we have a sin nature that needs redeemed. We create a lot of our own issues. And you create issues for me, and I create issues for you. We're fallen humanity. I, I, can, I get that, selfish craving. I mean, there's a guy who wrote a famous book that says sin is defined as selfishness. So there's a whole lot of, I think that's a very simplified definition, but there's a whole lot of, you could hang your head on that one. Listen, the third thing, selfish craving can be overcome. I think we're like, yes, we can do that through Jesus. But I don't know about you, but my selfish fallen state, I don't know that I could just mm, overcome it. So let's see what their fourth noble truth is, which is how do you overcome this selfishness that has caused suffering? The way to overcoming is through the eightfold path. And let me read you what the eightfold path is. Right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And right there is why I would be a terrible Buddhist. That right there is a burden of religion for people who think they're free from religion. Right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right effort. Thank God. In contrast to a high priest who has walked through that same suffering that we face, who's been tested as we've been, as we've been tested. The in-between between the glorious birth, the death and the resurrection is a life from the moment he was very little, acquainted with what we face. He's without sin. So we have like the scientific, like theological, like check mark, we can go to heaven. But we also have hope and encouragement for this life because he's been there. I don't have what it takes I need grace, I need mercy. I need a God who says, who looks at me with sympathy <laughs> and then who provides what I don't have. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We, uh, We recognize that in your infinite wisdom, your plan to send your son to live a life that we could not live. Ultimately, he dies a death that we deserve, but it's in between. I mean, he suffers on the cross, but he suffered because he lived in this fallen world and so when we face the hardships and the realities of our life, we can have confidence. And we have a great high priest. We have a great high priest who's understanding and sympathetic and able to provide the mercy for today. God, I pray as we walk out of this place that you would give us just a, a greater awe and wonder when it comes to the incarnation. We thank you for your help as we live the life you call us to live. Help us, Lord, because we need it. In Jesus' name.
Amen.